0: Welcome back to a new episode of I Unfolded, the first podcast unveiling people behind the institution, powered by the IE Think Project. This is Giorgio Gallo, and as always with me, my favorite co-host, Ronnie Cardozo.
1: Hello, guys, and thank you for tuning in with us today.
0: So, Ronnie, today I have a super hard role, like describing today's guest with one word and one role. It is kind of impossible. Like he's an IEMBA graduate, he has been hopping up and off various profit and non-profit organization. He's driven by an incredible will to make the difference and contribute to work, to make the world a better place. So let's welcome Tyler Berklicic. Welcome Tyler, how are you?
2: Good, thank you so much for having me. It's so great to be here and talking with you guys.
1: Well, thank you so much for agreeing to do this today. Um, <laughs> You know, I was talking a little bit, your LinkedIn, you know, the usual, the usual the usual suspects. Um and I was seeing that you actually did your undergrad in politics, am I right? Politics, yep. and international studies. And now yep. you moved on to kind of like selling your soul to a business school. And I feel like <laughs> that's that's the same thing that I do, so I can really relate to that. But how come that you made this chance that you did this change from? you know, more of a politics to business?
2: Yeah, this has been a struggle for a while now. So I think it's kind of, and not even maybe more politics, but it's more um kind of that bleeding heart of social impact and, you know, wanting to save the world. Um, I think obviously now politics has taken a, it's always been in a deep, dark path, but even more so it's been elevated and put on the spotlight um, in the world we're living in now. But I think it was, you know, working for nonprofits, um, doing social impact and really wanting to be in the public sector. You, just as you do in in the for-profit sector, you see the good and the bad with it. Um, And I think being in it for 10 years, I got a little burned out. um, And so I wanted to, see what the other side is i guess if you can call it that but i think there is even more something that like drove me to ie and that's actually and even driving me to an mba is like how do we converge and how do we bring the two worlds together um because like obviously the for-profit world is doing something good they're creating a lot of money they're creating jobs like there is good however and, and then obviously the for-profit or non-profit world is doing incredible work and they're changing lives all around the world but there's negative sides to capitalism it's creating a lot of problems for our environment, not an equal equal system and then for pro or non-for-profit is not fixing the problems fast enough and we're still kind of in this so how do we combine the goods of both of them Um, And i think that's kind of what drove me so i mean it's maybe trying to find the hope and humanity on both sides and maybe tying them together
1: no, I, I agree with you. Like that's that's something that I also experienced as well, working in international organizations. I was like, I feel like, you know, the purpose is there, the will is there, but the execution, you need some <laughs> business people to execute this. Otherwise you're not going to get it.
2: Absolutely. So. Yeah, it's a struggle. So sometimes it's just like frustrating in your life. Yeah, so I just maybe needed, I'm actually still working in social impact sector, um, but I'm doing consulting. So I've actually found that little niche of, of where we can kind of combine the two, but I kind of want to take it a step farther. So I guess we'll see.
0: But that's why we are here. And that's why business schools like are there. So mm-hmm. and you've done like incredible things. You are an example for a lot of people, including our dear friend, Fabian. Uh, hi Fabian, if you're listening to that. Hi Fabi. You, you <laughs> work for incredible organization, but how this whole this journey started?
2: Um, that's also a tough one. I mean, I think life, like, I mean, we can all say we we've experienced things. We've all been through things. Uh, we've all motivated by our experiences. Who we are, external, internal. Um, I think, you know, and as cheesy as this sounds, like, I think I I come from a very religious background. And I did not fit that mold. And I was an outsider and I I was the exact opposite of what they wanted to me. I'm a part of the LGBT um, community. And, you know, that was the worst thing that you could be to them. And so I think being isolated, ostracized, um, and feeling that way, it really lit the fire to never want people to feel that way, you know? And so, I think that's like my personal experience. It's not a sob story. It's just is that was my life and I had to grow up with it. And thankfully I had the family and a community that supported me to get me out of it and to get me through the dark times and to see that, you know, there is still a lot of like, there's still a lot of good and you can do that. And so, and I also realized we don't choose the lives we live or or I guess experience. And, And what I mean by that is I didn't choose to be gay but all of a sudden this society put so much pressure and a rhetoric on me. And then I started realizing, well, people really don't choose to be poor. People don't choose to experience homelessness. People don't choose to be born in a developing country, you know, so why are we criticizing them? Why are we ostracizing them? Why do we, so you really kind of start seeing a world in a different lens when your um, own life is kind of turned upside down. And so, and you can either be angry and look at it negatively or see how you can help. And, um, you know, and then I kind of moved on from that and got a good head on my shoulders. And then it became, you know, something serious and w- wanting to do development work and um, hold on to the fact that I think we can save our planet, that we can save humanity. We can save, you know, there is still a chance. Um, it's a little bit daunting right now, but um, yeah, I, I, I think it's just a little bit of a combination of internal and external experiences and and the people that I'm surrounded with and, um, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess it's really powerful and, and it's, it's really nice to hear as well. Like this kind of like this lit a fire on you to kind of like dedicate so much of your energy towards, you know, making the world and the society we live in better. And I, and I've seen on like, you've been working for so many different things, so many all around the world.
2: Yeah, it's been, it's been, Amazing. And, and I mean, and that's also another experience is, is somehow, I don't know I, i'm I'm definitely one hundred percent privileged. i um, I mean, I'm a white male in the middle class in the united states. i'm i'm a I have a lot of privilege. and one of those privileges also um, like being able to move um, and I've been able to travel um and, and that also just inspired me. and it's once you take an opportunity to you know step outside of Salt Lake City, Utah, which is <laughs> not diverse at all um and really experience you know you walk into the first you know culture shock um and go look at them as as equals um or not even you just kind of are open into to what their experience and who they are um and then it became kind of becomes addicting and i've traveled to 32 countries and lived in three different continents and um, you know, and, and I think that also, I challenge people like move, get out of your bubble, just go experience, because I think that is also a lot of our issues today is that we don't know anything else other than people like us. And so therefore the equations, the solutions, everything is what we think it should be. But, you know, there's seven other billion people out there that it's a little bit different for.
0: Of course. And one of the experiences you did, it was in Africa with the Peace Corps, right? In, in the Gambia. How, how did you end up there? Yeah
2: yeah so the peace corps that of i mean that was like a ninth grade somebody came in to recruit and kind of give a presentation on the peace corps and i was hooked and so everything from that point on was like dedicated to that and so you know i i joined the clubs i ran for student body um you know office i ran like everything i wanted to do was to excel so that they would it's a very competitive program um and i applied when i was 26 i think um and i was actually declined um (laughs) and i applied for thailand which is one of the the tougher ones then i actually and i shouldn't put this on record but i actually applied again for myanmar um and i was declined And so after almost being defeated, I was, I I, like, I told everybody, I actually made like a public announcement. I was like, look, I'm done. Like, everybody knew I wanted to do the Peace Corps. So I was like, I I didn't get in, but you know, moving on to bigger and better things. And then I, I applied one more time and I said I'd go anywhere in the world. And, uh, I I was put into the Gambia, which is in West Africa. And honestly, I had, when I got that email, I had to Google what the Gambia was. <laughs> I didn't even know that it was a country. I was like, what is the Gambia? Like, didn't even know that that's what was a location. And yeah, so I was uh, sent there and lived there for 27 months. I lived in a rural village of about 400 people. Um, I lived in, yeah, like everything you would kind of imagine, a, a grass hut, fetch water, no electricity. Um, but that was the best part um, and I was there for education agriculture and gender equality work
1: that's so interesting you know I did an internship where they asked me to do a research on electoral um, like electoral uh, system in the Gambia you know fun fact uh, actually <laughs> they're they're the only country in the world where they still uh, vote with like Like the ballots, it's like it comes from from Italian like Veneto Ballotta, which means like little balls, basically. And in in the Gambia, when you go vote, basically you have a little like ball and you just throw it like cast it on whatever candidate you want. And when they hear the sound, that means that you voted. I don't know. This is a fun fact, but it's so interesting that you did some field work, like from everyone I heard, like kind of like field experience Changes you so much and kind of like opens up your mind so much. So what are your biggest takeaways from from that experience?
2: Yeah, um, So actually funny enough on the on the voting that I was there during the election when the dictator was transitioned over to a actual president. Um, and he like, didn't give down power and we all had to be evacuated. But it was like fascinating to learn like, yeah, like marbles are these balls. And then they had like mm-hmm. pictures of like in the buckets and like that was the person you voted for. And I was like, what is this? But <laughs> hey, it works, so we're good. But yeah, so I think with field work it is, I mean, I walked in thinking I, with my experience in NGO work, with my experience being quote unquote, like a marginalized person with being gay, like I knew what it was to, you know, I I could relate and and I could understand what the world was going through. Um, and woof, did I get knocked on my face? Um, so you know, it I I lived with a, a host family, um the most incredible people. Um, the Gambia is uh 98% Muslim. And so it was, you know, a plethora of culture that I was learning, you know, and so the work there is different the language there is different communication style there is different everything is different and really i have come to learn that it's like okay one i need to let go of my preset notions of what work they need one i don't i can't serve them like and that's a big major white person problem is what i would say and it's a western problem and so you really need to check yourself on that um And more so it's, there's a lot of opportunity to just sit back and learn. And so for the first six months, um, I really didn't do much work. I, I just sat back and watched and then I started to create programs. Um, I had friends at that point, I had counterparts at that point. Um, and so we started curating work that I felt was more applicable. Not everything was great. Not everything was successful. Um, but we were able to really actually do a lot of work, um, and, really exciting stuff. That was uh, something that I would never have expected. We did a lot of agriculture. We planted over 2000 trees. Um, we created tree nurseries. We expanded their garden beds by, um, I think 60 to 70 beds. Um, we tra- created a woman's program, um, that we taught, we brought them every week to learn about gardening skills. And then I always, I'm like a really Big liberal, so I like would throw in like a sex education class or a gender equality class because they were like away from their husbands, so I had like a moment to talk with them without them like causing any issues. Um, so yeah, no, I mean like I think field work, if done appropriately and correctly, is great because there's those mission and like trips that are a week or two, and really that's just can actually do more harm than good. So it's actually you know like if you're doing it correctly and good you can create impact but honestly like it's going to change you more than anything.
0: It sounds like you've like really created the impact you were going uh, for and talking about the language I've heard like there are some rumors telling you've even learned the local language after almost two years there, are those true? No,
2: (laughs) my (laughs) language skills are trash um so even here in Spain but yeah no I I mean I was able to get by um so I was with a Lola family um, which is one of the seven major tribes in the Gambia. Um, and they did speak Wolof. Um, so I spoke enough to get by, but I mean, compared to other volunteers, um, and especially the worst, was like my boyfriend that was also another Peace Corps volunteer. When we met up, like, and he spoke perfect Pular, which is another tribal language. It made me look like a fool and it was embarrassing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I just sing and dance, make jokes, and everybody's
0: happy. Yeah, I can't relate. It's more or less the same thing I do here in Spain. So <laughs> I got yeah, perfect. Here. <laughs> <laughs> but after almost like seven years working and volunteering, bit uh, as we were saying before, hopping on and off. Like last year, you decided to move like here in Madrid for the MBA. And what brought you here? Like you've studied in the U.S., but you picked Europe for your MBA. So why AE and like why Madrid?
2: Yeah. So that actually goes back to a very romantic setting of, I was, you know, on a cliff in the Gambia. We were at a very nice resort because we, uh, some of us volunteers had just kind of, we needed a break. So we, you would usually kind of book ourselves into a lodge maybe like once every two months, like just for a night and like spend um, our extra money if we ever had any. Um, And I was with a friend, she was in a different cohort than I was, but she was talking we were talking about our future my time was wrapping up and she was like "Ah, oh, well I'm looking at a school IE they have a social impact program incorporated in their MBA and she, like after five minutes like I was completely sold and I don't know what it was but I was just like okay like an MBA with social impact in Europe in Spain duh like this is a no-brainer and so I started to apply and honestly I didn't look at any other school which is not like me like I Usually I'm kind of like, let's try and explore all of our um, like opportunities. But this one I just loved and, you know, an opportunity to not necessarily get out of America, but keep on living outside in different, like out of my comfort zone. So it's like thrilling to me. And so, yeah, kind of, I mean, I love Madrid. So it's like been one of the best choices.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, you get everything, everything, the the nightlife, Seriously? I mean, not, not anymore, but the food. Mm-hmm. Beautiful everything. people.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Um it really so is like what's everything? I know, right? The the full experience. But what's your biggest <laughs> suggestion to someone that's potentially gonna big IE for it's like for a student doing it like their MBA?
2: I think I think this is I mean everywhere you go in life. So this is kind of like gonna be generic, boring advice, but it's like you're gonna make whatever you want of it, like whatever effort you put into it, like is what's gonna come out and I mean, I look back on and I'm like, oof, like I should have maybe have done this or this program or maybe this instead of like been a little tired on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning, you know, um, <laughs> because I was spending my time doing other things. Um, but like, I think it's just, you know, come in with like a full like willingness to one, like meet as many people as possible, um, put yourself out there. Um, get involved um i i mean i say this i've been a part of student government since you know forever and so i think like I, I i've seen the benefits of it so clubs student government um doing internships within the school like whatever it is like get to know professors um this is a really great networking opportunity get to know people outside of madrid uh that's probably my biggest thing i'm such a brat i get out of <laughs> salamanca Enjoy Madrid, like there. I've lived in Central Oof. the whole time, um, and so I'm, you know, La Latina, Malasaña, Chueca. Like, get out and enjoy. There's so many bars, so many people. IE is incredible to making friends. Like, absolutely, some of the best people I've ever met. But also highlight that and complement that experience with meeting, you know, other people outside. And and that could be expats, that could be Spaniards, that could be anybody. But like, just really make sure you're you're taking full advantage of this city because. It's yeah, incredible.
1: It has so much to offer.
0: Yeah, and, but also an incredible player in the IE community, being president of the LGBT Outer Analysis Club, the Net Input Club, what what pushed you and drove you with this all like IE club world and what's your biggest takeaway from that?
2: Um, I think that's a little bit of who I am, just trying to get involved. I think it's a great way to meet people. Uh, you have an opportunity to, kind of leave a legacy in a way as well. Um, you can have a uh, footprint on your time there and really continue to build the institution that IE is, but also like the student experience. Um, also, I mean, there's work to be done, um, you know, with net impact. I mean, that's all based on social impact and, you know, whether we're inviting people to learn about it for the first time or pushing for a greener agenda, or, you know, like there's a lot of good that can comes out of that. and then. LGBT, you know, out and allies for the LGBT+, plus, like, I mean, that's student advocacy, that's representation, that's education, that's creating professional environments, that's really protecting, for me, being very comfortable with my sexuality, I understand, having 60 to 70 nationalities, there's going to be many of those countries that are not welcoming, and there's going to be people experiencing a place for the first time that they're able to be out, whether they're not out, but they can, they can feel maybe a sigh of relief for the first time that, They're not being judged. They can be whoever they want. Um, And I think that space needs to be protected. Um, And there's also still as much as we want to act like there isn't, there is a lot of work to do um, with homophobia and um, hate, um, you know, and I've experienced that firsthand. And I know a lot of other people have too. And so you know, being an advocate that's strong enough to advocate for not only myself, but the others and making sure that IE and the community and, and our social networks are all a safe place is really, really important to me.
0: And connecting to what we were saying before, um, clubs are the place where to meet all those incredible people, all those in- incredible, like different backgrounds and nationalities our university is offering. So yeah, I, like, I really appreciate it. So wh- why not? I I get your your initiative like uh. exactly.
1: But now let's move on to let's talk a little bit more about your experience on the LGBT Out and Allies Club, which Fabi has been telling me a lot about. So we know that you guys organized the LGBT at Work event back in July. So mm-hmm. how was that experience? How was how was also the initiative with like, uh, you know. A lot of a lot of companies are now making more and more efforts to towards having diversity policies and all of that. So, can you give us some insights?
2: Yeah, so I'll, I'll I'll make it a happy story because <laughs> it was so LGBT plus at work is an annual conference that's been going on for fourteen years, and it is an in person event usually one night and it, it's usually the the night or the week of when Madrid Pride is. So obviously, COVID really interrupted that, um, and we were kind of, you know, thrown for a tellspin of: Do we keep going? Do we cancel? it? Do we try and postpone it? You know, how long is this whole thing going to happen? Um, but you know, thankfully, um, Eddie, my vice president, Fabian, um, and some other coordinators, we all decided to push forward, and, which was a great, great choice, and we made it a two-day event online um, and really reap the benefits of that. And so. Yeah, we have we have uh, companies as sponsors, um, companies that are really doing well in the LGBT um, sectors within policies, within team building, within you know just a general safe space, um, and that's Salesforce, Johnson and Johnson, Amazon, Gilead. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of them, and so, and then we had nine speakers from I think seven different countries, um, you know, and we really kind of covered the whole spectrum, not all the whole spectrum, but we tried to cover as many voices as we can and bring their, their voice to the platform. Um, But yeah, it was an absolutely incredible opportunity. We had 2000 viewers. We had people from over 97 countries tune in um, and kind of relating back to what I said is it, it was another moment that I, you know, we saw, you know, countries that it's illegal to be LGBT. You know, we saw countries that there's still active laws against LGBT and like, maybe wherever they were watching it's like okay this was an opportunity to hear from nine advocates and a group of people that are really pushing for this and sending out a message to the world like you know you are accepted you are who you are and we're trying our best to make the most inclusive spaces especially in companies but throughout the world and to try and push that so absolutely like super frustrating super most like anxiety of um, planning it but absolutely rewarding and one of the best like moments in my, my experience here.
0: And you mentioned the pride and okay, as we know, like with this old COVID situation, extreme conditions, extreme, uh, mm-hmm. like solutions. So no pride, unfortunately, this year, but I want to ask you a quite personal question, both to you and, and to Ronnie, let's see how, like, how do you think? How was your first pride? Like, what was the feelings, the thoughts you had during during your first experience at the Pride? And what's, like, what's your takeaway from that? Ronnie, do you want to take that you one? Go
1: you, okay. you go first. You go first.
2: So my first Pride, like ever, um, oof, I was a, a, a wee little child. Um, I think I was 18 or 19. I think I snuck out of, you know, I lied to my parents and I kind of came up with a story. Um, I think I was out at the time. Um, I think I had a boyfriend at the time, so I think we went, but oof, coming from a very <laughs> religious Mormon background that's only like, oh no, you know, and then all of a sudden you're seeing like a whole spectrum of people and a spectrum of attire, spectrum of like dress and expression and love. I'm like, you know, like to be honest, like straight up, I was like shocked. I was like, what is this? Oh my gosh, like. You know, and but then you're like, Okay, this is like just life. Like this is and and then all of a sudden you're just like felt welcome and it's just like at ease. And so I remember it being very overwhelming, but then like being, you know, like the best time I actually remember it. Like, yeah, I remember it vividly and um, so great. My mother's amazing. She came with me like the second and third time that I went. And so, and that was also fun to see her reaction. Cause then I, I was like, totally chill. And then I'm seeing her go through all the emotions of like, wait a minute. Um, but yeah, no, it absolutely like is amazing. And I cannot wait to experience Madrid's pride next year.
1: Oh my God, don't get me started. I, I I came with a purpose and they canceled it. I and I'm Like like, I, I feel scammed. I feel betrayed. Um, I want my but money my, back Spain. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> especially because I heard Madrid's Pride is amazing, apparently, like One it's the best biggest, in Europe. Yeah. yeah. But mm-hmm. my first Pride was actually was quite like casual, as in like, we didn't know there was going to be Pride. Like it was in Lisbon, very random. We didn't know there was going to be Pride the next day and then we saw all the all the manifestos and, and they were all in Portuguese so we're like kind of like unsure whether that was pride or not and we just went and I guess first first thing is shock because you want to be as extra as everyone else we were not prepared we were just there with our like basic outfits and people were there just doing the most you know and you're like damn I should have prepared better but um for me it was a very emotional experience I I, I felt like crying the whole time I felt so Happy, you know, it's just like such a place of love and inclusion, and it's like you can be whoever you want. And then that to me that was so powerful. I was I was really emotional throughout the whole experience. But Absolutely. um Giorgio, I have like you been all to Pride? <laughs> have you been to Pride, Giorgio?
0: Yes, luckily, like I come from a very like open-minded family in in that sense, and I was like 16 when when my parents first brought me to to the pride in Palermo, my my hometown. And actually, when they organized the pride, it was this big scandal, saying, "Oh, wow! Now like our children will be <laughs> uh, will be influenced by that." But in reality, like it was it like it was incredible. It was literally seeing people generally happy of being able to be free to express themselves and like to show their 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 love not only for for the other person but for themselves so uh, i i really i really liked it i enjoyed it and from that moment when i have the opportunity to to attend one even though i've i'm not part of the of the community i like i enjoy with 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 my friends because it's it's a moment during which they are generally like happy and like involved and feel part of of something real.
2: Next year, twenty twenty one, we'll uh, we'll all meet in Madrid and we'll, we'll go involved, we'll look. go have four or five days of it.
1: Our outfit needs to make up for this year, <laughs> like <laughs>
2: absolutely,
1: putting
0: money away each month.
1: Yeah, to buy like a full on like situation.
0: Yeah, you, you need but, to help me with that. Like, <laughs> I, I, I'm a serious advocate. I will make you pretty. Don't worry.
1: <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> we didn't have any doubt like, yeah. but um, you know, as allies, I think it's really important to, you know, get involved, get the conversation going, support the LGBT community. So how do you think us like allies can get involved also through the clubs and everything? towards like helping and supporting the lgbt community
2: yeah i think in general like i mean allyship is tricky um and something that i've learned through my own allyship um is one it's on you um and that kind of is a is a harsh blunt statement but it's on you to do the education to do the learning there is this thing called google google um, you know, type in how to be an ally to X group, and you will have a bunch of resources at your hands. Um, and it's difficult and it's a process and you probably think that you're a much better ally than you are. Um, and again, I'm speaking to myself on, on me to other marginalized communities. I still have so much work to do. I still have a lot of work to do within the own LGBT community. Um, and I think that we excuse ourselves, um, gay men excuse themselves a lot for not needing to learn about the trans community or be a Black trans woman or what it is to be bi or what it is to be asexual. like we, we excuse ourselves because we feel like we already know, but it's not true. So I think allyship again is is educating yourself and starting with you and really humbling yourself to say, hey, I don't know it, but I'm going to learn and I'm going to um, learn first, not by relying on somebody else. Um, and then, and, and why I say that is because it's really exhausting being a marginalized person. Um, And that's not a a pity on me. It's just, it's exhausting to, as you know, Ronnie, like to be a woman, it's exhausting to be a person of color in society. It's exhausting to, you know, like, it's exhausting. And so to have people have, you know, them rely on you to kind of educate them, it happens and it's fine, but you just kind of have to understand that you probably are the 6th, 7th, 8th, 20th person that week to try and do something. So sometimes it's just like, hey, I just want to live my life. Let's just enjoy. Um, second, like it's it's more about actions than talk. I think talk is super great, but you know, it's how you show up. Um, I think an IE, it's Uh, kind of goes back to high school a little bit. It's it's nerve wracking to stand up to somebody that is well liked if they are saying sexist, homophobic or racist comments. Um, But are you going to be brave enough? Are you going to have the language to say, hey, no? And this also includes professors. Like professors have said some of the most craziest things that I'm like, wait, did anybody else just catch that? Like, no, like, and I've already been on my soapbox like 30 minutes. I was like, okay, I can't keep yelling at everybody, but, um, it's, you know, and so it's, how do you create the language to be able to have polite discussions of saying like, Hey, I I don't think that was appropriate. Um, Maybe this is a better, a better way or to not say it at all. And so overall it's, it's putting yourself in, in the community, in the situations, in the environment, um, while listening and learning and not really having an opinion. Um, and you can develop one, it's a, it's a personal journey. And this isn't to say like, and I think this is where people get confused. Not all white straight men are bad, it's not that. It's just privilege. And when you understand privilege, we all are at a different place in privilege. And so when I enter into a situation in, in Utah or honestly anywhere, like I have a lot of privilege because I can actually deescalate my gayness, shockingly. Um, And so I can kind of code switch and figure it out. But as a woman or as a person of color, like you can't, you can't hide those things. And so you're automatically going to be at a disadvantage. And so it's more for us to just understand how do we, it's not thinking badly about us and it's not thinking the other groups are thinking badly about us. It's just how do we elevate all these groups to be as equal as we are and to step up um, and have the opportunities. And so um, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question, um, but those are just a few little tips and tricks that I have tried to do and tried to express to, to others as well.
0: And I think it's like all of us needs to stand together. And that's why, like, I was telling you before, let, let's go, like, let, let's, let's make the 2021 pride a real, a real like party, a real, um, mm-hmm. the display of, of joy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of of making of
1: love and inclusion
0: exactly exactly <laughs> for and everybody yeah while looking at the future while while looking at Madrid 2021 right <laughs> let's now time uh, open our time machine uh, so we said future but let's let's look at the past if you could go back to a time and place where to live where would it be
2: a time and place where I would I've lived before or
1: you can choose. Can um, be a place of any- your, a moment of your life and can be something you've never experienced.
2: Ah, oh my goodness. That's a tricky one. But I think it would be, um, like the first instinct that came would be like, what, like the 60s or 70s? But like, that's not that long ago. But like, I think it was just like such chill vibes. I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on, <laughs> on in the world. Like a lot of that yeah. stuff. So I don't want to discredit <laughs> that, but it's like, there was also this like, like the dance clubs, the vibes, like the chills, the parties, like, you know, just like people, if you, you found your right group, it's like, it seemed like everybody was just like, we're, we're cool. Vibing. Like everything. So cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Vibing. Like, and that's just like what I try to do. It's like, let's just, let's just all vibe people. Like, I don't care where you're from. Like, let's just, let's just vibe. So yeah.
1: Amazing. Thank you so much for coming today with us. That was really, really helpful. And thank you for your amazing answers. Can't wait to see you in Madrid and vibe together.
2: <laughs> yes, I am so excited. Thank you both for having me and inviting me. I'm so looking forward to seeing you guys both in person.
0: Thanks a lot, Tyler, for your insight. It's now time to clock out. This is I Unfolded, the first podcast unveiling people behind the institution.